The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 208 Breakdown Show. Oh, shit. That's right. We are a go on the note of an expletive. This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, podcast that focuses on high-level MMA, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer for FlowCombat.com. We are sadly not in Brooklyn, but we are there in spirit. That's right. This is the UFC 208 Breakdown Show. I uh, I say there in spirit because uh, I, I was initially going to go. I know, oh, you said you were going to go to 205 too. I actually could afford to go to this one, though. That This was the different thing. Um, um, it was uh, a couple things, though, did come up uh, that would have still made it feasible, but just, just made it difficult, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, the, the card strength, I didn't want uh, uh, Try not to, you know, try to be optimistic and not tote the negative line. But yeah, I'd be lying if I told you that didn't have to do with my decision. Um, that being said, it, this always happens. It, it, we get the fight week and we're excited, and it, it might end up being like 206, where you just have a card, you know, lacking names that we might have, you know, uh, wanted, expected, been promised. But it, it's got a bunch of gunfights, action fights, action fighters, fun matchups. Uh, match matchups with potential at the very least. So we're gonna dive into all of them from the bottom to top. But um, shout out to uh, those who did make it there. Um, my man Matthew Wells from uh, MMA Latest News and uh, Flow Combat as well, and uh, even just locals there who I, I really wanted to reach out to and actually meet in person, like Andrew Lawrence. Shout out to the clown kid. Uh, you know, uh, but I'm sure I'll be back in in, in those parts. Uh, you know. Sometime soon. I used to live there. I probably didn't mention that, but if you ever, you know, follow me during a New York uh, fight week or anything New York related, you'll hear me wax, wax poetic as I, my pontificate about, you know, food joints uh, that I miss that I probably don't need to be eating right now. I'm just thinking about food with this freaking stupid weight challenge that I'm doing. It's not dumb, actually. It's, I'm, I'm really happy. Um, really happy that I had an excuse to just. Lose some of this weight, man. I've uh, anybody who knows me gained some weight with this whole concussion thing and not being on the mats, and I just kind of went one way. And a year later, hey, I haven't fixed it. Better, better get around to that, huh? So uh, yeah, that's going good. I'm gonna try to make the weight. By the way, just a quick update on that before we get going with the breakdown. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, I don't know. Probably uh, 12 pounds there, maybe more. Hopefully, we'll see. But uh, if I can make weight by Saturday, I may do so because I want to, I'm not going to lie, I want to enjoy the weekend, but I have to do it until the 15th technically to do that. So we'll keep you updated on that. But uh, without, uh, without waiting any further, why don't we just jump into UFC 208 from the very bottom? We're going to start on the fight pass portion with Rick Glenn versus Felipe Nover. I believe Rick Glenn should be the favorite. Is he? I picked him. Let's see. Yes, and five dimes agrees. Minus two ten. I don't think he opened that high. I think I think it's built there. Uh, you know, by this time, uh, this should be dropping uh, Friday morning. So hopefully, the fighters have weighed in. Um, you can probably you'll probably this will be available for you to listen before that if you're up up early or even even listening to this. But uh, yeah, right now it's a right now it's a it's a decent price. But um, I. 
I'm not sure. This one didn't quite make my avoid list because I actually feel good about Glenn. I picked against him against Dunham because, you know, I'm obviously a big fan of Dunham. But, no, I really felt Dunham was going to win there. But uh, Glenn, man, he's really, uh, you know, I watched him on the regional scenes, WSOF. Um, he's the kind of fighter I really like to watch. He's a he's a pressure guy. He, uh, you know, both standing in on the feet. And uh, what I really like about him actually is, is his ground and pound. He's one of these, like, lanky guys. It doesn't look like he's going to generate that much power. But... You know, kind of similar to a, don't take me so literal when I say John Jones, but similar to a John Jones in the sense of he, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a long, framey guy, but he knows how to put it to use, and there's like some deceptive, you know, pop and power. And uh, guys that can really get a grasp of how to use their frame down there on the ground, they can really do some damage. And I just think it's going to push uh, Nova out of his comfort zone. You know, Nova, I believe, is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and you know, I think he's got better wrestling than Glenn. So, you know, the aforementioned ground to pound is going to be hard to come about. I mean, Glenn's probably going to have to do some things to get there for sure. Uh, but the one thing you can really say about Nover's game is, you know, as well-rounded as he tries to be, there's a real lack of kind of urgency, um, process, volume, different things you can kind of say there that make it hard to side with Nover here. As, again, the odds makers agree. So that's my spiel on that i don't want to um wax too long and fall into a rabbit hole as you can tell if you listen to this podcast i, I can do very very easily so we're gonna go to uh ron carnero versus ryan Lafleur. um man uh dig dig carnero ever since he won that you know one night tournament and then uh he came back and i remember getting good odds and cashing on him against uh, mark munoz back when you know odds makers would just blindly if a guy had a wrestling you know wrestled collegiately much less you know for Oklahoma State or a notable college, they were just getting ridiculous odds and didn't really, you know, uh, you know, narrative, context, all these things weren't really applied. Um, and, yeah, those were the days. But actually, that wasn't that, that long ago. I don't know why I'm waxing like that's, that was that long ago. But that, that was a nice play. Um, jumped off the Carnero train just in time, though, because he's, he's kind of struggled since. You know, uh, you can make the arguments of weight, age, etc. Um, you know, he hasn't developed as much as you'd want on the on the on the feet at this stage of his career it's kind of hard to expect that whereas LaFleur um you know mixed things a lot of hype uh, from the inside you could see why from you know the wrestling pedigree to just kind of how he applies it to MMA and the grappling uh even you know in that loss of Damian Maya I mean you forgot he started to he started to take over those rounds toward the end and just kind of you know being able to survive in certain positions <laughs> kind of uh hard to hard to you know Hard to understate there for that. So, um, but more importantly, we saw you know it's hard. Lafleur has been you know inconsistent as far as you know fighting and stuff. But he had a little bit of a layoff. I mean, he's coming off much more of a layoff. But he had a little bit of a layoff between his last fight even, but uh, against Mike Pierce. But he showed improved stand up, and that's kind of what I liked. Um, from what I've been tracking, is he still has is in good graces with Henry Hooft and through Instagram stuff. I've seen that he's been down there not uh, kind of recently, um, but. Uh, I'm assuming he's still doing the majority of his camp still, you know, in, in New York, um, Long Island, I believe. Uh, Lafleur's three to one now. He's climbed up. I feel pretty good about Lafleur, but I mean, um, for those odds, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if I'm if I'm doing some uh, real uh, stupid degenerate gambling and 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 getting 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 lengthy and legsy on my parlays and. Uh, and stuff, but yeah, I don't know. Um, 
be careful on, on, on buying that one, I guess, is what I have to say. Moving on to the the Fight Pass headliner. It's a really odd choice for the Fight Pass headliner. They really do heavyweights, much less regional, a regional guy like Marcin Tabura, who is the favorite at minus 185 against Justin Willis. Uh, the debutante coming in at a plus 160. Um, I'm sure you guys are real familiar with Tabura. He's my pick here. Uh, it's funny, these guys are both like kind of round guys, but they're deceptively athletic. Uh, Tabura kind of, uh, you know, uh, again, don't take me so literal here when, with the name, but kind of a throwback to a Fedor-esque in the, you know, in the sense of, you know, he's got that uh, very, uh, uh, he's, I don't know, I'm not sure if Tabor actually has a Sambo background, but does a lot of his wrestling from the clinch and transfers nicely to grappling. You know, he'll take an arm bar, he'll take a rear naked choke, he'll ride to a back, and his ground and pound is really nice. His punches kind of, you know, he throws them kind of casting-like. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, kind of, you know, and then, of course, like I said, the aforementioned physique. Um, he hasn't quite, I mean, well, there, there was there's obviously the last, the last fight with the head kick, and... I did take him against Tim Johnson against him, so I guess he didn't really disappoint there. Is that I, I I thought it was going to be a close fight, and I thought you know Tim Johnson could have took it, but yeah, I guess I guess um, I see a lot of people hard on Tabora because a lot of people had higher expectations, and I guess even I did, um, being pretty high on him. Uh, you know, especially I saw this one. It's not on his record, but like you can find it on YouTube. It's like in this basketball gym. It's a lot of these like I don't know if they're like sparring session or like exhibition kind of things, but they they look like a almost amateur fights, but uh, he fought like dumb Daniel Omelanchik and like beat the crap out of him on a, <laughs> on a basketball court. I think you can find that on YouTube. It's like an indoor basketball court and they're just running fights and stuff. There's like really no audience. There's like two people there watching. It was great. And these guys are just hammering each other. Um, I think he actually stopped Omelanchik there, which was pretty impressive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, again, see note on the random tirades there. Justin Willis is the, Poor man's Daniel Cormier. He trains at an AKA, and uh, he, uh, he, uh, yeah, he, he's an athletic dude. He's again, he's he's another guy. He's, he, he you know, he, he's aggressive in the wrestling. I don't know if his exact uh, wrestling pedigree, but but obviously training, training with the people at AKA, he's got that similar mold. You know, he's got the the tight, aggressive, uh, aggressive kickboxing, uh, pressure style entries, takedowns, uh, ride, float. Uh, strike, float, uh, you know, and he'll even take a take a mount and ride it back very well. Uh, and he showed to do that, you know, kind of early on in his career, at least, because that was a primary footage available. If you look at uh, look up Justin Willis on the old Googles there, uh, but yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of things, <laughs> you know, raw Plato, pardon the pun, but you know, still a lot to work with. So if you know, uh, as a positive, uh, uh, so kind of scared me away at first it was a no-brainer you know oh short notice debutante um i mean i, I still feel you know like tabura should win but mma heavyweights and willis has some uh chops don't let don't let uh don't don't let the physique fool you okay we're gonna move to the prelims uh fs1 ian mccall takes on jared brooks uh usually i don't take debutantes but i'm taking him here uh not just because Ian McCall and all, all the flags of his uh, inactivity and talks of retirement and injuries and uh, yeah, all, all the other stuff you could, you could speculate even further upon, but 
the, I think what I mentioned was kind of important and kind of uh, paints the picture enough, right? So uh, not just that, though. Um, Jared Brooks is actually really talented. But not just that. When I say, you know, it's usually not a good idea to bet debutantes, I'm not saying anything new. There's a lot of people. That's like a general rule, right? I mean, you're going to hear a bunch of people say that, and it's smart, even though most of us don't don't, don't always follow that advice. Uh, but what I say a lot of the times, what I've said with Jack, Jack Hermanson, I said uh, at the aforementioned UFC 206, uh, with, uh, what's his name? I have a sip of coffee, not that I need it. My Musashi mug here. Ah, the Viking, Emil Mech. See, see, thank you, Musashi. I appreciate that. He's holding secrets for me in that cup. It's not just a warm hug in the cup. Um, Emil Mech, he, uh, he had the attitude intangibles, what I like to say. So not only are they athletic guys and are they skillful guys and, you know, these basic kind of parameters on what we judge a martial artist or how we're judging a martial artist or a fighter's chances in a fight, um, they kind of have to have that attitude intangible as well. Conor McGregor being the most obvious example, but I'm not going to beat that on the head, but, but it, it's, 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 it's uh, consistent there. There's a little theme there. Um, um, so so it's something that I've I've been really, you know, kind of hammering and, you're probably sick of if you're someone that actually follows and listens to me, but it, it keeps to be proving, proving true, and I think it's going to prove true here. Um, and the line agrees as Jared Brooks is slightly favored at minus 135. I don't believe he opened there. I want to say he opened as a slight dog, but yeah, I, 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 I like the uh, the Monkey King here. I also heard him on the aforementioned, uh, uh, speaking of the clown kid, and Nick Baldwin, uh, MMA Circus, shout out to them, uh, Heard an interview with him on there, and and, and man, he is just exudes confidence. Uh, tech, on a technical side, I mean, you can even look at his early fights and just his pathways and how he applied his wrestling to his jujitsu and uh, just kind of the choices that he makes on his back rides. You know, keeping you know doing certain fundamentals that I like to see. You know, kind of grandma backing as guys like to say, where you're kind of crouched and you're really almost keeping ear to ear uh, with the opponent when you're riding the back. Your chest is to their um, back of their, you know, should, you know, uh, back, uh, shoulder blade area, um, you know, upper back, I should say. And, um, yeah, switches off appropriately to, you know, uh, figure fours when, when, it, when it's appropriate, kind of how he inserts his vines and hooks, just little things he does that I really, really like. Um, and I was like, you know, this guy kind of reminds me of like Ian McCall. I mean, essentially what Ian McCall wants to do to guys and is capable of doing to guys. We just haven't seen him because he's kind of done that bounce around, point stuff which was weird considering the hand stuff he's injuries he's had but yeah um kind of you know peaky and mccall i guess that's, i should say and then hearing that you know aforementioned interview um on the mma circus go subscribe and, and like those guys shout out to those guys um but uh you know brooks was calling himself that and apparently had a tweet dating back 2013 and calling him mccall out so there's some uh, Conor McGregor shit going on there. Good luck to you, Mr. Brooks. I, I I didn't play it heavily. Maybe as it gets closer, we'll see what the line does. Maybe some people, you know, if, if maybe he, he dips back into dog territory because people are like, oh, McCall, Uncle Creepy. Because, hey, why not? I mean, I like Uncle Creepy. It might not sound like it from what I just said, but uh, I, I I do. It just kind of just kind of sucked that we never saw him. Uh, he kind of took that downturn uh, personally and professionally after that uh, DJ uh DJ debacle in Australia, right? So close. Oh, so poetic. All right. Next fight. Nick Lentz versus Islam Makachev. Um, 
I, I like many, you know, high on the Dagestani guys, was high on Makachev. Um, I did pick him, but in my breakdown, I said, man, Martins is underrated. Uh, he's got heavy hands, and he's got a check right hook to watch out for. And sure enough, by golly, he hit him with it. So it was one of those ones where my pick was was, was wrong, but I didn't mind because it was like, oh, I actually, I, I laid that out. and, and okay. So at least my eyes are working. I just, my judgment is another question, clearly. But at least my eyes are working, so you got to take the positive with that. Um, Makachev then kind of would fight a, you, you know, he fought a, uh, what do you, uh, yeah, the, yeah, he kind of had his own debacle of his own, right, during that Bahrain training camp. But uh, he he fought a Chris Wade, who I'm pretty high on, and people are like, oh, you know, even people that are high on him underrate Chris Wade, uh, Chris Wade's grappling. Because, you know, oh, he's a wrestler, or, you know, and, and there's not much depth to that. But he actually, I forget his coach's name, but he comes from more of a catch wrestling lineage. And Chris Wade, though it's not flashy, he does, again, I'm, I'm a guy who likes transitions and little things. And uh, like Makachev, Chris Wade understands hand fighting. And that's what I was kind of calling for in the, my breakdown of that fight where I felt, you know, I really wanted to go with, I was actually close to going with Wade and I ended up, you know, sticking with Makachev for that. But I, I did say, you know, Wade's going to make that much more competitive because they're both stiflers, and when two stiflers face each other, well, you know that cliche saying, well, the fans are the real winners here. Well, that's that's not the saying for those kind of matchups because the fans do not win in those kind of matchups. Unless, unless you're like me, and you're a nerd, and you love, like, you know, wrist controls and and hand fighting and and, 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 and rides more than submissions. So, yeah, if you're, you're like that, and you, you appreciate, you know... Um, whether wrestling aspects and sambo or catch wrestling aspects of the grappling, then yay. Otherwise, nay. Um, and we may you know, kind of see that because Nick Lentz is a bit of a stifler himself, uh, very underrated, very physical. Uh, previously, when he was at 155, and, and you know he's been doing decent for you know the state of his career as it is now since his move back, especially looking that he wasn't doing too well toward the end of that featherweight run. Um, so... I see people on Lentz, and even though the the line's not reflecting that, and uh, I don't blame them. Uh, you know, part of me wants to as well, but uh, I, I think Makachev should be able to get it done. Uh, I do worry that Makachev's not going to develop, um, not going to jump on the, the train and say, "Oh, he's got he's chinny," because again, Martinez is very heavy-handed and a big lightweight. Uh, but Makachev still hasn't show. He's still young, so he still has, has time to. But he still doesn't show the the, the striking developments I want to see. Um, but even if he still doesn't show those things, Nick Lentz is not necessarily the guy to tax you. I mean, he, obviously Lentz can put him or anybody else away if he lands clean. I'm not saying that, but uh, on paper, that is, you know. All right. Uh, let's see. Ooh. Were any of those on my... Sorry, I'm just checking my avoid list and all that stuff. Uh, Brooks McCall was on my avoid list. Lentz Makachev is on my avoid list. And LaFilaire Carnero are my three to avoid. Uh, my next parlay piece and prop. No. Nope, no prop here. But the next parlay piece, uh, which is kind of way out of range, uh, blown out of range now, it jumped. It, it, it jumped upon. I think he's like up to like a minus 700 now. But that's Wilson Hayes versus uh, Olka Sasaki. Um I can I essentially confirm what a lot of other people see here, including the odds makers, that uh, Hayes uh, underrated it. He's got a really nice liver kick, and hopefully he's still upgrading stuff on the feet. Um, 
haven't kind of haven't kind of lost track of him, but on the grounds where he should have the success, you know, Oka Sasaki is again, he's a guy who can be dangerous with submissions, but also has that kind of crafty uh, Japanese stifling style where he's calm, composed, technical. Um, that being said, uh, Hayes is a different animal, and I, I, I he's tossed me around like a, like a child and uh, uh, before. Um, couple of years back uh was lucky enough to work with him uh through a mutual mutual friend and former coach um and uh yeah i was like remember just like being that guy uh eating after and i was asking wilson like dude you, how do you make 125 man you, like, he's a thick dude he's not I know he's not that tall but he is incredibly like thick and muscular and he's just great just debasing guys like i, I literally you know, like, you know, the chefs, like, they, they, they twirl, like, the pizza and the cartoons or whatever, the pizza dough. Like, I felt like that's what he was doing to me with, like, his X-Guard, just his elevations. It was just insane. I was just like, you going to put me down anytime soon, Wilson? Thanks, man. Uh, no, really nice dude. Um, but, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that as a, to, to not just a state of bias or anything like that, but uh, just to kind of make a point, like, I mean, I'm, t- obviously he's going to toss, toss a nobody like me around, but, um. You know, I won't mention names, but you know, I've seen him in the seen seen this guy in the room with names and uh, what he does to you know heavier, very talented, uh, notable guys, and uh, and that kind of always stuck in my head with me. So he hasn't been, you know, that style doesn't always translate the best as far as flashiness and his success. You know, you can take different perspectives of how you look at it on paper, but that's always stuck with me, and I always respect a guy like uh, Wilson Hayes and. Uh, even though it was kind of a weird circumstance anyways and no one was really excited for it, I was just happy for a guy like that to get a title shot and it kind of disappeared on him. So hopefully he does what he needs to do here, makes a statement and cashes if he played, you know, under angles, over angles, does not go the distance, submission, uh, etc. Good luck to you. The next one, Bilal Muhammad versus Randy Brown. Um, I, I definitely think Brown should be the favorite. That's justified. I ended up going with Muhammad, though. I think Muhammad can make this ugly if he uh, doesn't get tagged and uh, discouraged early by the clear long reach and speed and power discrepancy, I'm going to guess, that Rondi Brown is going to carry over Bilal. But essentially, I don't want to go into it because, you know, and, and, and Randy's still so young and still has so much to show. But he seems kind of so far. He's, he's got to show me that he's more than an athletic opportunist, um, and it's really hard to kind of bet on guys like that that are just going to kind of take things when they're there, kind of give away a fight till they don't, or take a fight and then give it away, vice versa. Whereas Muhammad, you know, it, it's one of those things. That, you know, the guy comes off a knockout loss, and you see that projected in the line narrative, etc. You know, just the general feel. But we've seen him short notice on. Um, that wow, I was about to totally brutalize the name. Um, Ramadan, there we go. Yeah, uh, you know, just just with you know all these intangibles against the mat play and you know still show up even if it's in a losing effort. Uh, not that you should hang your hats on losing efforts, but again, it's it's, it's all perspective there. Uh, he's an underdog, so I you know, I put a little fun sprinkle on there. Didn't put either guy in any parlays. As I don't think you should. I don't care who who you're on that fight that. That was barely, you know, missed my avoid list. Probably should have been on there, but usually I only put three. Which, by the way, if you're not seeing it right now, it's uh, it should be hopefully dropping today on on uh, Flow Combat. Uh, just the format and just 
ah, long story, nothing you need need be knowing, but uh, uh, you know, WordPress, HTML, it's, it's it's real fun stuff if you can sense the sarcasm. So we're working on getting that to you, but I assure you, um, the breakdowns, uh, the big breakdowns at least, will will still have their home on Flow amongst my other articles coming out with them, which another reason why everything's kind of been. Uh, crazy uh would just just been just been doing um stuff outside of the breakdowns i may have actually something kind of breakdown related which should be fun analysis and bellator related coming out with flow um, i don't want to say too much more on that but by the time you're hearing this it should be up so go to flowcombat.com to check out that and all the other stuff that is dropping daily on there but uh yeah i just wanted to not so much uh sound like i'm complaining here or anything but I do hear I do hear uh, your concerns, people reaching out, which I appreciate, by the way, about the breakdowns and kind of just uh, I know I've been as, as my normal consistent self getting them out on the Wednesdays or even Thursday mornings um, as I normally do or in the same format they normally are. Again, as I warned you, transition period, and unfortunately, uh, the, the warning was correct. Um, so we're just transitioning uh, stuff right now. So thanks for sticking with. And again, you're going to find everything here in the Protect Your Neck podcast. So. Spread that around, keep subscribed, keep staying tuned, and you will not miss a beat. Uh, speaking of beat, we're going to take that note. Yeah, beat, B-I-G, if you can hear it playing, hopefully you know what I'm saying. We're going to break, we're going to come back with the main card, UFC 208 in Brooklyn. A chubby nigga on the scene I used to have the trade deuce and the deuce deuce in my bubble goose Now I got the Mac in my knapsack Lounging black, smoking sacks up in axe and sidekicks With my sidekicks, rocking fly kicks Honeys wanna jack, but all we wanna know is where the party at And can I bring my jack? If not, I hope I don't get shot Better throw my vest on my chest, cause niggas is a mess It don't take nothing but front for me to start something Bugging and bucking at niggas like I was duck hunting Coming out just me and my crew Cause all we wanna do is and we're back right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast. And on that song, that song is bringing me back to my high school days. That's right, when the internet was not as prevalent and riding around with your boys in your ride, even if it was a crappy ride, the better. Bumping. Biggie Smalls going past movie theaters or whatever the designated cool spot of your town or city was. Yeah, now that I've depressed you and depressed myself, I realize how depressing and old uh, that, that, that sounds. Wow. Back when we had to walk 15 miles and we would drive around pointlessly. All right. Yeah, enough of that. But B.I.G. always a soft spot in my heart. And it's only appropriate. It's cards in Brooklyn, right? So, uh, and and, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was in a you know, punk rock band. You, I like, you know, obviously you could tell by my music selection. It's kind of weird and all over the place. Like, like some music scores, like, like rock, like metal, like all these different things. But when it comes to hip hop, it, it, East Coast all day, all day. That's just where my, that's just where my sensibilities lay. So uh, I genuinely do like the Biggie and the Beastie. So hopefully you like those intros and segues as we're now on the main card. For UFC 208, the first match, ooh, oh boy. All right, we got Jim Miller versus Dustin Poirier. This is a tough one for me because, uh, well, first let's get some, uh, let's get some schmods. Schmods, all right. The odds are, uh, 
Yeah, surprise, surprise. Dustin Poirier is the favorite. He's climbed up to a minus 450. I, th- I think he opened around like minus 200, I want to say, or something. And Jim Miller plus 360 on the comeback as the underdog. Uh, love me some Jim Miller. Picked him against Alves. Um, and uh, he came through there, and, and, and I, I stated a good case. You know, I left my fandom out of it because, you know, um, like I said before, Jim Miller is, uh, you know, or you read my breakdown. Uh, Jim Miller is one of my top five favorite fighters in MMA uh, to watch all time. That sounds really silly, I know, but it, it's true. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> there's obvious choices like the Anderson Silvas and the Fedors, or, you know, the BJ Pens for the obvious reasons, but uh, I don't know. Just something about, uh, you know, that, that, that CCR walkout song and him, you know, kind of snarling and getting himself pumped up and just always pursuing the finish on. Uh, on the feet or on the floor, he just you know he he always embodied that uh, that attitude of a fighter that that you want to see in a fighter or at least your favorite fighters and uh, as Jim Miller so respect but uh, I agree with the odds makers he, he should be the underdog here um, couldn't pick him here as as I picked uh, Dustin Poirier uh, you know it's a, it's a southpaw versus southpaw matchup and as I kind of you know wax on probably more than I should. Um, those are matchups where not always the better striker wins. Uh, everybody's like, oh, I hate facing southpaws. Oh, lefty. You know, every time you, you know, pair up with someone, Jim, oh, you're a lefty? Oh, fuck. You know, you're just like, sorry, man. But it's funny. It's like when, as speaking as a as a southpaw, when we get paired up with another southpaw, we, we fucking hate it. We're like, oh, crap, especially if it's sparring. Oh, man. It's it's terrible. Um uh, it, it it just it completely it completely throws you off, because um, just like uh, you know the reason why southpaws have the edge against orthodox fighters because we, we we predicate our entire games because we have to in the gym to beat an orthodox fighter. So even though you're like, well, no, you should you should do better. You have a lefty, you get your outside leg kick back. You get you know you get your uh, you can you you can attach you know. Uh, lead up jabs to you know your crosses a little easier there's you know there's different kind of windows and and different things you can do you know you can uh, split your jabs uh you can you start you can, you know, all these things open up when you have that same stance but it, in a perfect world it's not always like that some guys are better uh naturally and that's what it comes down to oftentimes it's it's, it's who's better organically there and if well the statistics tell you if dustin poirier is uh jim miller is one in five against UFC Southpaws, um, with that one coming against Gleason Tebow, the other most winning is UFC Lightweight. And Dustin Poirier is 2-2 two two against UFC Southpaws. Of course, those two losses coming to Conor McGregor and most recently Michael Johnson. Uh, that being said, Jim Miller traditionally does really well against fight, fighters who shell, which even though Dustin Poirier has done better at moving his head since moving to uh, ATT, um, he still will revert to that shell, and whether Jim Miller is throwing those, you know, those uppercuts, uh, short elbows, or his crosses down the center when he's kind of abusing that inside angle, like he did the Lozon fight, um, he does really well there. So you know, it's definitely something to watch out for. But I just, for obvious reasons, I just feel Dustin Poirier's just got more pop and more, more importantly, more speed. I think, I think the speed is going to be the difference maker. Um, that being said, I couldn't play Poirier there. Maybe you know, because of the o- the overly price. I do you know call it my bias for not wanting to play Poirier and call it my bias for saying this, but I think it's a little closer. And if I told you, well, even if you didn't agree with me, that's fine. Totally fine. I, I don't blame you. 
if you don't think uh, Jim Miller has a has a shot in hell. But this is the real world. Anything can happen in MMA, right? So if I if you had to pick gun to the head, okay, let's say Jim Miller did win. You know, obviously, you know, let's say you're someone who doesn't think so, but let's say you had to pick away decision, submission, or TKO. What are you gonna pick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. TKO. Uh, no, just kidding. Submission. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, submission. Uh, and let me just quote this to make sure it's still there because this was stupid. Um, this was stupid. Jim Miller's the most sensible path to a victory here is by submission. Yeah, plus twelve hundred on five dimes right now. That is more than worth a sprinkle. Um, Poirier is very underrated in his wrestling, and he's very underrated in his submissions and grappling in general. Um, I don't think Poirier is going to mess around too much on the ground, but Poirier will let guys get catches, like triangle catches and stuff like that, so he can pass in advance because he's just so good and so confident with his defense. So unless you know, it's going to be hard to submit a sober Poirier, but he's going to be playing with fire if he does that with Jim Miller because even though Jim Miller may not be the more intelligent scram intelligent scrambler he is the more diverse one uh diverse grappler and he's the more dangerous scrambler submission artist and grappler as well so again he might not be the more intelligent one might not even be the more physical one but he's more he's the more diverse and dangerous one i i i feel strongly about that i mean uh we've seen him submit high level high level guys like charles Oliveira, fabricio camoys you know etc um but it's hard because his gas tank has been kind of his criticism because he said, and, and a lot of it I thought maybe cool because he just sells out so hard on everything, right? Like with the Benson Henderson thing, he's like, oh, I had, you know, he had mono in that fight, even though he didn't say that till years later, mind you, because Jim Miller doesn't make excuses because he's 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 a savage. But uh, but you know, we'd find out later that his, his his inconsistencies may have, you know, may have attributed to getting older, but also Lyme disease. So that also makes it. You know, as, as heroic as it is that he's battling through that, it also doesn't make you too confident to play him. So that's why it's a little weary. But if you are going to take a shot on underdog, I think I think uh, for the value you could make an argument for Jim Miller. Uh, although I didn't pick him here, but man, for the value on plus twelve hundred for that sub pop, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to have that listed as a fun fun flyer here officially. So fun flyer, Jim Miller by sub uh, quarter unit sprinkle just for fun there. Got another flyer coming up later, um, but not on the next fight. The next fight is Glover Teixeira versus Jared Cannonier. Cannonier. Yeah, all right. Let's see what they are coming in on Five Dimes. That's where I'm pulling my odds. Five Dimes. EU. Make your plays. Not sponsored by them, but you know it's a friendly shout. By the way, if any if any uh, if any odds houses do want to sponsor the Protect Your Neck podcast in the future, get at me. Um, all right, Jared Cannonier is the underdog plus one seventy five. Glover to share minus two ten. I believe this line's kind of stayed around here because everybody's thinking this fight is pretty close. Uh, which again, I think it's in th- another case where a guy comes off a devastating knockout, but you forget Glover to share is a badass. He's only lost to John Jones and. You know, uh, Phil Davis and a really bad performance from him where he was, I think, camp transitioning, life transitioning, uh, you know, uh, 
it's very excusable. It's coming off the John Jones loss. Uh, nothing to condemn the guy for. Glover is a very well-rounded guy and very underrated wrestling, which I think is going to be a key here. I mean, Cannoneers does a lot of things I like. I like switch dance fighters. Uh, he's really diverse. Throws some really hard kicks, whether it's like body kicks or teeps, but Glover is really good at catching kicks. And Glover still has a good shot. And Cannoneer really has been taken down. It says 40%, but it feels like it should be less because it feels like every attempt anybody's thrown except maybe like one has taken him down inside the octagon. It's just, especially lately, he's improved on getting up because he's so athletic and mobile um, that it doesn't it doesn't seem like it. But that being said, uh, those guys who took him down weren't to share. I mean, even Cute Laba and his wrestling pedigree, his style and his aggression and his sensibilities and all that, he's not the guy kind of guy to control you, much less you know have to, you know. It remains to be seen if that kind of guy even has the techniques to do so. If that was even his intention in the first place. Whereas Teixeira, I think it's going to look like the OSP fight. You know, Teixeira is so good at cooking his opposition underneath him. He just slowly cooks him. He, he makes him, you know, uses strikes to make him give their back for the rear naked choke. And then when they turn back in, he's got the, uses the underhook, to, that, which will feed right perfectly right into the head and arm choke when, when they turn back into you. And he, he just has his chains worked out, just like his chains from the... Uh, from his head and inside single, or and then he he'll put his head out and run the pipe and yeah, I mean he's a vet, he's a vet, and I think that veteran savvy is going to come through. He is thirty seven as well, you know. This could turn into the passing of the guard show real quick. I I do understand that, but uh, you know, Cannoneer's a little too willing to fight from his back too. He's good at getting up, but he will often retain guard and try to fight from there for a bit. And if he does that against Glover, it's going to be a bad move. A bad, bad move. I think um, he's going to eat strikes. And even though uh, I think Glover's a finisher, first of all, so he can get it done on, on the feet through his, you know, his right hand, uh, patent right hand left hook, which I kind of hope he, he's, he's variating a little more. Guys have caught on to that. He, you know, the lead right hands. And like I say, my breakdown, lead right, he's really good with the lead right hand to kind of initiate chaos and capitalize on it when he comes back with his cleanup hitting left hook, but lead right hands is something that gets less effective, I think, with age because it's timing-based. So if you see a guy that's real dependent on his leads and stuff, uh, that's more of a speed timing-based technique. So they, they get less effective um, as they get older. Uh, so, so yeah, but, but but even though I do admit he could, he could finish uh, with strikes, I actually... I actually am playing and recommending the sub prop here. Plus 265, I did it for one unit. Teixeira by sub and parlay piece. Uh, Teixeira straight up. Uh, and if you're if you're one of those people that think it's closer, if you're like, Dan, I think you know, you're not giving Cannoneer enough credit, then, you know, I say, hey, you know, uh, Teixeira's 210. Well, why don't you just add the... Uh, Little minus thirty more because minus two forty right now on five dimes you can get Cannoneer to share does not go the distance and use that for some parlay fodder, fodder at the very least. A little too high for my taste to play straight up on juice, although I do think there's going to be a finish there. Um, but parlay fodder, I think I think you know it's more than safe for a fun parlay. Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't make your core piece for your core cut. Um, assuming that's how you even you know set your set your stuff up. But but yeah yeah. That's my take on that. The next one is Tim, the Barbarian Boast versus Ronaldo Souza. Uh, the other and uh, 
Yeah, the, the, the last parlay piece there. We had uh, Hayes, Teixeira, and Souza, obviously. One of the bigger favorites, and for good reason. Um, I'm a big fan of Tim Bosch, uh, but it's really hard to side with him here. You know, uh, I picked I picked against him, although I with how sloppy Natal was, it didn't surprise me that that could happen, so I, I stayed away from that fight. Happy for Tim Bosch. Always been a fan, you know. Mentioning David Heath, and <laughs> I was talking about it with uh, Jordan and the guys from MMA Latest earlier, but since I think I've mentioned... It in the past like three podcasts straight. Um, let's go ahead and make this a theme. Anytime I can possibly find a relevant way to segue to UFC Fight Night 13. That's right. Lozon versus Florian in Colorado, baby. Dan's bringing it up again. Why is he bringing it up again? Because Tim Bosch. Because Tim Bosch like, did the rape choke to Matt Hamill. That's right. I'm not trying to be offensive. But Joe Rogan said it himself. The infamous rape choke quote. That was Tim Bosch uh, to Matt Hamill. Who, God. Remember that when they used to like interview Matt Hamill and they they wouldn't acknowledge that he was deaf on the broadcast and uh, like and it was really bothersome and I'm not trying to say this to be mean again um, forgive my my take and my words here I grew up in the 90s and I also have deaf people in my family so it's not that I'm insensitive but when you don't tell people <laughs> when they didn't like state it they would like and Joe Rogan would not not only did they not state it Joe Rogan would like do the post fight like to Matt Hamill like he was a real person and that, not that he's not not that Matt Hamill's not a real person but like. What I mean is he wasn't lip reading. You have to like respectfully like face when you're speaking to a deaf person that could read lips and they're like cool enough to like be like, don't even worry about signing with me. Like go ahead and talk because I had people in my family like that. So I would, you you talk, but you talk at a decent pace and Rogan would just kind of start talking and looking up at the big screen and looking, you know, then, then looking back over to Hamill. So you can see Matt Hamill like really trying to just track Joe and trying to track what he's saying because they're not going off translation. They're not cueing the audience in. So I can imagine casual fans going, holy crap, they let retarded guys fight? Like, how hard did that guy get hit? And again, I'm sorry, I grew up in the 90s, so I used stuff like that. And again, I have deaf people in my family, so I'm not trying to be insensitive. But I couldn't get that out of my head back in those fights. Like, can we just acknowledge and just Matt Hamill's deaf and just move on with it? I'm not I'm not saying we need to you know, treat these people extra special. I, I know they don't like that, and I'm on board with that, but... It just kind of, those post-fight interviews felt funny. Side tangent, wow, Dan. Wow. We're going to have to have that esteem, you know, or something like that, or something, at least a call. I don't know, you, why don't you all call me out on that and feed your opinions more. Use the hashtag, Protect Your Neck Podcast. Any opinions or hot takes. But yeah, Tim Bosch, man, he's produced a lot of great memories. As my buddy Jordan Killian says, he looks like, like uh, you know, the JFL, like back in... Back when you're, you know, back in back in your grade school days and your your, your junior football days, and your your friend's drunk dad comes to pick you up, and he's probably tied one on before he came to pick you and the boys up from practice. Yeah, that's Tim Bosch right there. Like, he looks like he should be weighing on the scale with a beer. Damn, this has nothing to do with technics. This is not why we're turning to your podcast. Shh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Tim Bosch. What can you say? He he, he uh, if if. If he can get into the clinch, you know, that's where he's traditionally done his best work. But that's not where he's going to want to be against Suzu, who's got underrated wrestling. And uh, I don't want to be this aforementioned, oh, if he gets it to a ground, it's a done deal. But, man, Jacare Souza, Tim Bosch, I just, I see the head and arm triangle. I'm seeing a lot of those predictions as well. Because when you get bigger, thick guys like that, you know, that choke's going to be there. And we've seen it, whether you move too much or too little, 
it, it it's bad news with Jacare. I mean, the guy is just that good. He he's he, he <laughs> he's not playing positions like like normal jujitsu guys. Not one, two, three, four. He's uh he you know he's showing you you know you know two divided by four. And while you're thinking of that answer, he already has the answer, and then he's setting up another equation. And it's just he's way ahead of you. He's way ahead of you, and it's really tough. So. If you're going to play Boshier, I don't blame you. You're going to get some nice odds on, you know, knockout lines inside the distance and whatnot. Um, I suggest if you don't want to play Sousa straight up, a nice angle is this fight does not go the distance. Right now you can get that for minus 350. Again, that's definitely too high to play straight up if you're asking me. But I still think that is within um, parlay fodder for something fun. If you have something fun going on, you're looking for a three or five leg. In other words... Not nothing serious like a, a serious two legger or a serious three. If there's three that you really feel that strong about, as, as, at least as I did, um, which again I kind of took different angles on those. That's why I gave you those different angles because the numbers are so inflated right now. So I don't want to. Not gonna sit there and tout that that's something special. All right, the co-main event, and this is where our next fun flyer and some other stuff. Is going to be, we have Anderson, this better Silva versus Derek Brunson. This is a fight, another Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup. Um, this is a fight where I came in leaning toward Brunson, you know, seeing the Weidman versus Silva one and Uriah Hall versus Derek Brunson. I was kind of putting that together, right? Anderson Silva, he's relying on head and trunk movement and, you know, speed's the first thing to go. And now we're seeing that. And, you know, even though Derek Brunson will, excuse me, throw himself out of position because he sells out on his strike so much. Maybe that won't be necessarily a bad thing here, right? Because again, uh, with that you know trunk movement and fading and getting just outside of a range, it's it's the guy who really commits and sells out to it. All the wide men, it's going to pay off. So yeah, I was leaning Brunson, but but uh, I I pick Silva. I think he gets it. I think he gets it done here. Not because the matchup lays out for him on paper as far as a counter striker goes, but really just kind of dissecting you know the speed and explosiveness. Not saying. <laughs> Believe me, not saying Brunson's not fast because he's a deceptive distance closer. He's a, he, he's really, you know, not just, you know, being a, don't want people throwing the race card on me saying it's athleticism because he's really intelligent the way he does it. It's, it when I say he's a good distance closer and, and, and he's fast and he's explosive because he, he Derek Brunson, when I say he uses this really uh, nice shuffle step off his uh, lead foot, which is his right foot because he's a southpaw. And it's like that kind of like that tie march where they kind of lift their foot up to check, but he he, he uses it kind of as a timing step down. And uh, from there, he'll launch his left hand or his, uh, you know, left power kick to the head. And he's good at kind of mixing it up, fainting and changing speeds on it. But against an educated striker like Silva, I think he's going to see these tells. I think these things work good for other guys. It's a good vehicle for Brunson's power. But I think these things will serve as tells to a guy like Silva, who even at this advanced age, even at his slowed down age, I think can still capitalize. I think this is probably the one guy in the top 10 that that you could make an argument for you know, a favorable path to victory as I'm making that argument myself here. Um, you know, Furthermore, I don't like you know these intangibles of Brunson training in North Carolina, who or a lack of who he's training with, not getting the elevation, not getting the coaching, not getting the training partners he would at Jackson Wink MMA. Um, although Anderson, you know, 
not out of the blue trading anything out of normal, but when you consider the intangibles he's had to overcome to the short notice fight, this is a good camp for Anderson in comparison to the last couple years. And uh, also, even in those fights, you know, in the last couple years, he's looked his worst. He's had the worst intangibles to deal with outside of the octagon. He's looked the worst ever inside of the octagon. Everything in between those two phases has been nothing but questionable with his personality and, and everything else. And uh, all that being said, I'm, I'm picking... I'm picking him here. Wow, where were you going with that, Dan? You really need to get some sleep, you you son of a bitch. But uh, no, no, I I think yeah, that's where I was going. Anderson actually looked good in some of these these performances, despite all these things going against him. Um, he's kind of <laughs> I don't want to say even look good, but uh, he shows he can still put it together and put it together late. Um, the I might as well just say it. The fun flyer is Silva round three. Uh, although I, I see him doing it inside the distance and the majority of the information is going to point that that gets done early in the first round. I noticed something watching Brunson footage that in both victory and defeat, Derek Brunson tends to slow down and kind of fade and labor come the third round. And I suspect that may only be so more with a more short notice fight where he's not training at altitude. Um, and if he, you know, does what I kind of projected, I thought he was going to kind of wrestle because he gets knocked out by Souza, comes back and wrestles against Levin, gets knocked out by uh, the soldier of God, Yo Romero, comes back and wrestles Lorenz Larkin. So the dynamic is set for him to wrestle here. But even further, you know, um, if he wrestles, uh, Anderson's good at stalling. That's the one good thing he is good at. I, I think that people make a little mu too much about his guard game. But I do think the one thing he is good at that, that is justified, if not maybe even given enough credit for, is the stifling and stalling, which is a skill. It's not a fan-friendly one, but it is a skill. Um, it's how many, anybody who follows Gi Jiu-Jitsu, stalling is a skill. Uh, it, a lot of matches are won that way. Um, so you have to know how to do so, and Anderson can do so, and he can do so from the bottom in MMA where strikes are allowed. Uh, and also, you have to have that factor in where our, our, you know guys fanboy and let him off the hook. I saw you saw, saw it kind of with DC, where it's like maybe DC could have hurt him a little more, but it was Anderson Silva and. You know, and that one had its own weird intangible because Anderson was kind of doing DC a favor and DC was kind of in his own weird mental state for what he just went through. But when I see Brunson, he has a hard time saying that he's not a fan of Anderson. And I see these things come through. I see that kind of fanboyness come through and I worry he might not be able to turn that off. And Anderson can smell it. He's a vampire. Like, as soon as you invite him in, he know, he, he goes right to work. Like, he, that's the first rule. You can't. You can't invite him into the house, you know. You gotta, you gotta either just kind of build your wall up, uh, like Chris Weidman, or project a real strong wall like a Chael Sonnen, uh, if you want to have a shot. Um, because if you let him in, Anderson's a vampire. Um, he'll suck your blood, and I think that's a potential, you know, hazard to worry about here. And, and you know, like I said, not only did Anderson look good in those fights, uh, he was down two rounds, had no, he just came off a of surgery and had no notice, and he. Hits a body shot on uh, DC. You know he he knocks out Michael Bisping in the third round. Uh, was it Cote? He might have got you know he he Cote's knee might have gone out in the fourth, but I think he actually finally started turning it up in the third because even in the weird performances, we forget that Anderson would at least even if he wasn't successful, he would attempt to turn it up later. I think he did so in the Damian Maya fight, even though he kind of would give up on it and and. And go weird, and I kind of have my own weird theory on that as well, where I think Anderson kind of 
does these antics to the guys that he's most scared of. I think he has the loudest antics to the guys that he fears the most. It's kind of that 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 mechanism, right? Like it's like you know you hear that classic you know the guy that gets louder when a street fight's about to happen. Like oh you don't you don't want another this man. You don't want another this. And he gets louder because it's like he's afraid. And I think you know that's a whole other maybe conversation to unpack. I think you know Anderson has a little bit of that, but I don't think I don't think Anderson has that here. I think he has the mental edge here. And I think those strong third rounds, because, again, we forget Anderson comes from a Muay Thai background. Those guys slowly build. You know, everybody, oh, Anderson takes the first round off to feel out his opponent. And they thought it was like a Matrix, like weird, seldom thing to Anderson. Like, no, that's just that's just traditional, like real traditional Muay Thai fighters that are, are classically kind of trained, kind of come up in that culture, you know, that feel out and build build pace and intensity. Um, yeah. All right, long answer there, but I got Anderson Silva. All right, the main event, we have Jermaine Duran to a surprising favorite. I think she might have opened at a slight dog. Minus 135 versus Holly Holm, still the underdog now, plus 115. Like most Holly Holm fights, I come in leaning toward her and end up picking against her. And I did so here as um, Duran to is the last prop. By the way, we also have Silva inside the distance uh, for half a unit. Plus 220. But Durandamy, not inside the distance. I did it by TKO because I see I see that's how she gets it done here. Plus 285, uh, half a unit. Uh, essentially, um, like I pointed out with uh, my Shevchenko pick over home, and I not only did I pick Shevchenko, I said the check right hook was going to be the key factor, and it was. And that was because, no, I was not throwing a dart against the wall, hoping it would land, and it just ha- happened to land that time. No, it was because I went back and I watched... Um, all of Holmes boxing and there was just habits that translated. I want to see tendencies when I go back and look at fights. And the tendencies that I saw that went all the way back to her boxing and translated to her MMA is that she would kind of make these roll outs and exits outside of the pocket to her left. And when she did so, she did so much more unprotectedly. And when she lunged, she lunged much more emphatically in these spots, which in turn opened her up to more counters especially from the right side. So if you have someone with an accurate hook that comes from that right side, Holly Holmes' left side, that's going to be a high percentage lander. And uh, Shevchenko being a southpaw, you're used to people trying to always beat your outside foot. So you have to have answers for that. Check hook is just, just it's just the best counter. It's just the best kind of all-purpose counter. Uh, most applicable, most conservative, most, yeah, it's great. Uh, of course, Shevchenko would add, you know, spin kicks to kind of close that and kind of add that element and fold, which was really nice. Durandamy has neither of those because she doesn't have to protect that outside foot. She's an orthodox fighter. So Holm should be inherently, you know, her play running style, her plays are tailored to, to that style. So she should do better on paper. That being said, she still does kind of exit dangerously and the fighters she's faced haven't been able to capitalize because they've been like grapplers who want to get her down and they haven't been you know, uh, the best strikers. And, well, you keep pointing Shevchenko down. You really love pointing to that one. Okay, sorry, you're right, fine. Let's look at Pennington then. Not as accurate as a striker Shevchenko, but she eventually caught onto these habits that I mentioned, these lunging habits, especially off the left, and then she would kind of exit to her left unprotected. And uh, Pennington caught onto this by the third round of their fight because Pennington was clocking home with counter right hands every time she would do that. So that's kind of what I keyed off on to get the aforementioned Shevchenko. God damn it, Dan, you brought it up again. Sorry, sorry. Um, the Shevchenko check right hook. Um, and uh, Durandamy actually has a really nice uh, check left hook. You kind of saw it toward the end of her strike, court, strike 
Strike Horse, Strike Horse, Strike Force days and beginning of her UFC days, you know, maybe maybe picking it up from the AKA, kind of refining certain certain applications uh, of her punches. But because uh, she's always been a devastating kicker and 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 and, and with her knees uh, in Muay Thai, if you watch any Duranami's footage there. But um, but punches, yeah, she she throws a nice check hook that she kind of throws a nice uh, counter cross over the top, and of course she uses her jab more now these days to set up that aforementioned accurate cross. So that cross, that counter right hand is going to be there offensively, and yes, off the counter to catch home. But more importantly, that head kick. I see that head kick hitting home. I think it's going to be a weird poetic thing that it's just going to return the favor that the start breaking performance that put home on the map in MMA. I, I think the favor is going to be returned. I think we're going to see Duranami land a head kick. Um, you'd see her do it in Muay Thai. As soon as she kind of get a beat in a range of when her opponents were kind of exiting to the left, she would corral that range beautifully with a head kick and, and catch them. Um, she's been getting more comfortable with her kicks, and I think this could be the turning point fight where, where they kind of blossom. We see that with strikers, right? Where they it takes them a while to kind of have that performance. They need the right matchup in the Holly Holm case. Um, they need to get more comfortable um, in the Valentina Shevchenko or the Yoni Jacek case, right? I mean, even Jacek, she only recently started throwing kicks. I mean, she self-admittedly said, "I don't throw kicks." When you start to see me throw kicks, I'm not comfortable yet. You'll see my full Muay Thai. But she made her ascension and won her title basically off punches. She didn't. She didn't use she didn't use any kicks in the Carlos Barza fights or, or prior really. She really she really kept the punches. Um, you know, going back to the regional scene, so it's 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 this weird kind of turn and stuff you have to kind of keep in mind when you're measuring these strikers kind of making their way into MMA. You know, some may, may never blossom at all. We see that too, right? Just like uh, I say, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu gi guys who don't trans the the gi game. There's certain styles of the gi game, and, and you know the sensibilities of the fighter. Of course, it comes down to the responsibility of the fighter. We don't mean to g- generalize or disparage a, a a style or art. That's not what I'm saying in that example. But but we just see that some things don't translate just because you have a rank or a title. That doesn't mean it's going to translate in the game of MMA. So uh, we'll we'll see. I, I'm banking that it does and that it does big, but even what we've seen before, although it's not impressive against the most impressive people, um, there are glimpses of Duranami, even within MMA, not just her Muay Thai, that tell me that she can do well against this style, you know? Um, yeah, you know, home wants people to come forward, but Jermaine Duranami doesn't come recklessly forward when she stalks. She stays in position, and she uses feints because she wants people to counter and come forward off of her forward pressure like Holly does. And she's really she's really good at like kind of similar to Thomas Almeida to throwing when their opponent throws and using these crashes in an educated way. And if you notice, she's almost splitting with her hooks and crosses when she crashes, where you know her punches are splitting in between and her head slipping off center while she crashes and catches uh, the collision course um, in the striking lane. So I see Durandami doing that kind of stun home and finishing the job with the head kick. I could be completely wrong. And Holm could go from on the verge of a three-fight losing streak to having her name amongst BJ Penn, Randy McCouture, and Conor McGregor's. Yay. You know, and it's, I'm not even trying to diss on that. It has nothing to do with Holm or women's division or or anything like that. It's just, man, I, I was kind of off-put by these modern era wing and modern era terms, but... They're important and we have to remember them now because there's so many titles being freaking flown around now and 
you know, a fighter that can go on a you can go on a, a verge of a between a three fight losing streak and having her name put with Randy Couture and BJ Penn before McGregor. It took forever for anybody's name to get up on there. Remember that? And even people are hating on McGregor, which by the way I don't. He hundred percent deserves to be on there um, because let's not forget Randy Couture and BJ Penn are old school guys and they didn't back down from any challenge and they certainly did things the hard way and arguably the harder way than Conor McGregor, but. Hey, they still got gifted a lot of title shots like McGregor too. So, you want to throw that a great uh, argument against McGregor? Well, you got to use it against the beloved BJ Penn and Randy Couture. So, don't hate, but um, and don't discriminate either. But you know, it's definitely worth noting, right? Right? It does it water down these things as much? I don't know. What do you think? Let me know. Tell me if I'm wrong or off base here. If I just just shut the f up. Um, but yeah, I got Duran and me inside the distance. Uh. And that is it. Uh, that is it for UFC 208. We're going to definitely do an after-party edition there. Um, maybe we'll get BR14, uh, whoever else is around for that one to jump on. If you guys want some guests, if you want anything else in the future. Wasn't a, a big participation to pull from for the submissions in transition, but please participate. I will shout you out on the show if you participate. Shout out, hot take, smart, stupid, whatever. Uh, or just a general, genuine question. I'd be more than happy to expand uh, my lack of knowledge and confuse you further uh, with an answer. So it's always a pleasure. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Use hashtag Protecting Your Neck Podcast to contribute. Follow the podcast at the PYM Podcast. Follow me for my work at the MM Analyst. Visit MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Uh, check out the click-throughs, check out our new logos, uh, we're going to have articles, breakdowns, everything gets gets archived there. So if it's not up there now, it will be up there soon. Until then, protect your neck. And it's on, and I'm gone, that's the